0: Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field, So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shambari signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of have a life teaching. If we really want to help our students to learn, to grow and achieve, we really need to be involving our parents more fully, this is particularly important for our families of our newcomer students, partially because our newcomers come from very different cultures where the relationship between parents and and teachers might be very different. So I'm really excited today to have joining us on our podcast, Ari Gerzon Kessler. He is the coordinator of Family Partnerships at Boulder Valley School District in Boulder, Colorado. He is also a former principal and author of a great new book that I hope people will pick up. titled, On the Same Team, Bringing Educators and Underrepresented Families Together. So Ari, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Great to be with you, John. Thanks for having me.
0: So Ari, how did you get interested in family partnerships and family engagement
1: Yeah, so I started out, John, as a teacher. I had been a journalist and oral historian early in my career, um, but my four grandparents are all immigrants, and I really saw education as this pathway to social justice and opportunity, and I'd always loved working with kids. So after spending 16 years as a teacher and then as a principal, I was ready to work with multiple schools and really see what it was like to create systemic transformation. And I also looked back on my principal years and some of the most rewarding work was deepening the partnership with families and entering a school that was in turnaround status. And I saw that a couple practices, I mean, the two that stand out, one was making positive phone calls, which I did you know, all along the way as an administrator, making those handful of calls every week that add up to a couple hundred calls a year And seeing what that did to shift my relationship and our staff's relationship with families was incredibly powerful, as well as uh, we did a, a monthly award ceremony with families where we honored one student per class based on character or academic strengths. And that was a school where most families kept their distance and the previous administration had kind of broken ties with a lot of families. And just doing a once a month gathering like that and seeing what it meant to families and the collaboration they began to to have with staff through those mornings once a month kind of illuminated for me that the work of family engagement or family partnerships can really be efficient. And if it's centered on building better relationships and trust, can be really meaningful. And, and I also have some regrets from my principal and teacher years. You know, for instance, thinking back when we designed events for families, we rarely had a single parent around the table. So kind of fueled by both, regrets as well as celebrations of best practices, this job of working leading family partnerships department and in a school district with 56 schools to really shift the practices was incredibly appealing to me. And so that that led me into the role and I can yeah and I can say more about kind of what what was the initial discoveries and and then what what work emerged from that.
0: Definitely. And so Ari, you you more or less pre-shadow the question I was going to ask, which is, why do we want to engage families more fully uh, in conversation with teachers and administrators? But feel free uh, to, to add on to that, if you will. But to your point about these partnerships that you're developing, I understand from our conversation offline that you've been doing these family and educator teams together partnerships for about seven years in 25 different schools. What have you been finding has been the benefit of having those partnerships with families and how is that impacting education overall for those students in a positive way?
1: Love the question. I began in the role, like many of us in district roles, I had 35 different job responsibilities and this pilot project of Families and Educators Together teams was a, was a unique structure bringing together underrepresented families, mostly immigrant families, multilingual families, with teachers and school principals. And it was really based on seeing that for decades in our district, and I think most districts around the country, we had been guessing what families on the margins needed instead of simply asking them, and then listening and, and actually implementing uh, their suggestions. And as well as the need to create space to build relationships. If we only do conferences twice a year and many of our educators are afraid to reach out because of linguistic or cultural other barriers, there's not much collaboration happening. So these teams showed initial promise. And I learned a lot from the schools that thrived with the teams as well as the ones that struggled in those early years. And it was really, John, in year five, when we were up to nine schools and then adding five, when I applied what we'd learned at the, the nine schools to the brand new five schools, they, they all thrived. And what I saw were there, the, there were these core ingredients to create a powerful night with families. The families were tremendously grateful that this space was created. To be sitting around a circle with the principal and many teachers uh, and being heard often in their native language was incredibly impactful for them. And then for educators, To constantly say at the end of these meetings, wow, I I feel so uplifted. I feel like I've learned so much. I never knew how much families really care about their kids' education. For for a principal to say, wow, this is helping me connect with all of my communities and hear voices I've never heard. It was really those moments about three years ago where I I said, wow, I need to shift my emphasis. This is where the true change is happening uh, as well. What I saw, John, was in the first five years There was a lot of great community building, deepening of trust, but these teams weren't consistently creating systemic change within the school. So I began three years ago to really partner with our our team leaders who are teachers or parents and say, middle of the school year, we've got to really begin to gain momentum around some change projects. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, There was a school where families said at the second meeting, it's incredibly hard for us to communicate with the staff We speak Spanish. They only speak English. There's only one staff member uh, who happened to not be a teacher that they were having all their communication go through, which is not uncommon, uh, I think, in in many of our schools. And so one thing that that conversation sparked was teachers began using an app that automatically translates their text messages because families had also said, you're burying us in emails. We'd love text messages. And so that shift, as well as some feedback they gave on parent conferences not being as satisfying as they wanted, led to two concrete projects that within a couple of weeks or months, the the amount of relationship and communication that was built compared to years of there really being a void showed me how much power there is in us just simply creating a space, get break bread together, have great questions for families and engage in meaningful conversation.
0: And what really resonated with me, Ari, with what you were talking about is let's face it, as human beings, we all have biases. Teachers have biases, families have biases, students have biases, we all have biases. And I think one of the biases that some teachers have, because I also do a lot of work in communities with a large percentage of multilingual learners, is that, oh, their parents don't care about their students as much. And I try to you know, have people walk back from the ledge on that and say, well, you don't necessarily know what's going on in their lives. Maybe they're working two or three jobs to put food on the table, particularly in New York City, which is very, very expensive. So it might not be that they don't care. They might not actually have the time, at least the traditional time, uh, to be engaging with students in in the way and at the times that schools traditionally do open up their schools to families. So that could be one thing. I think, too, to your point about language barriers and and finding out ways to increase the use of technology to increase that communication and undermine or limit those barriers also can make a big difference. Because also, too, let's face it, a lot of newcomers, their families come from cultures, maybe not all, but a lot of people come from cultures where the teacher knows what they're doing, you listen to the teacher, uh, the teacher is the expert. When in reality, we do want parents engaging more with teachers, because as you said, the teachers were also learning things about the students they were teaching by engaging with their families. With all that in mind, I loved hearing how texting in uh, in one's native language is improving conversation, and how these teams really brought that need to the surface. You were also mentioning another need that folks had, and You were suggesting that some families felt that the parent-teacher conferences could be run a little differently. Could you talk a little bit about what you uncovered there?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Just yesterday, I finished writing an article about this topic after five years of kind of just being a support to coach teachers around it and learn from you know, their experience as well as my reflections as a principal and teacher. So, my experience, John, has been as a teacher myself, talking way too much during conferences, not necessarily truly treating te- parents as the experts they are on their kid. And then, as a principal, seeing that same pattern of families coming in and really having to sit back and listen to the teacher, and often being overwhelmed by data and numbers that aren't either clearly explained or there isn't the context given. So, This kind of one way experience that for both parties feels really hurried and and often unsatisfying. And there's many exceptions, many sweet connections happen during conferences. But what I found in our district and I've seen in every district I've been in was that dynamic of lots of teacher talk. Teachers feeling like they have to demonstrate their competency by being very comprehensive in what they share, and at the school I referenced, what we what we learned from families was they wanted some space to share what they knew about their kid. They wanted some time to ask questions, and one of the ahas that emerged for teachers was, "Wow, we could simply send home a piece of paper with a single question of What would you most like to get out of our conferences?" and that could inform and and lead to differentiation in in each conference. So at at that school and several schools the major shifts we did was give more time to families that use an interpreter because we discovered that was a major inequity leading to that rushed feel when your 20 minutes are really 10 minutes with the interpreter helping out so bolstering the time and then i did a 20 minute professional learning training for staff on how do we make it more relationship centered and culturally responsive some very obvious as well as just best practice tips and to hear the difference it made was really rewarding because instead of the teacher feeling like they've got to give some detailed, thorough report, it began with you know share with me how the year's going for your kid, what 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 can I do that would be most helpful, and, and, and just some of those questions that really lead to dialogue um, and meaningful exchange. So not any dramatic time time extensive uh, work for teachers, just a really shift in the approach to to those precious you know, 15, 20 minutes or in our middle schools and high schools, five to seven minutes.
0: Something else you just said that really resonated with me, and that is really these conferences need to be a two-way street, that it shouldn't just be teachers dumping all this data on parents, as you were mentioning, or speaking really quickly and then just saying what the child is doing well, where they need help and what the parent can do to help their child, right? But having that opportunity for the parent to share what they know about their child. So again, making it a dialogue between the parties. So to that end, you were talking about ways that some of your client districts have done that to provide that space for translators, to provide that space for parents to be talking more about their children to teachers. What are some other ways you would recommend for educators to be bringing families in to the conversation about their child's learning especially schools that might have a large multilingual or indoor newcomer population but might not necessarily have access to these formal teaming processes that that you're working through and on
1: yeah great question and i and i do see these teams and creating this space being purposeful but i know it takes time to to build those so i'd say you know some of the work I've been doing is knowing how to identify some really high leverage practices. So to your question, I think, you know, a few stand out positive phone calls, texts, emails, postcards to build that relationship where families see the teacher as warm and welcoming and realize, Oh, I don't need to keep my distance. They want to engage with me and recognizing that for many teachers, as much as they might like to do that, there's so many demands on their time. So what I have found and encouraged a lot of our school leaders to do is, end a staff meeting once a month, 15 minutes early, encourage the staff to go make three, four, five calls. It bears so many different fruits. So that aspect of positive communication or even some of our FET teams have illuminated, particularly at the middle and high school level, parents saying, hey, I don't want to discover my kids struggling in March or April. I want to know early on. And that's led some teams to prompt their staff to begin doing academic text updates, which has been really powerful and then leads the, the parent to get it in their native language through, you know, talking points or whatever app your school or district might use and be able to engage in a back and forth. The parent can then ask, well, what could I do at home? And then the teacher gets to, you know, draw on their expertise and make meaningful suggestions. So both the positive communication and just ongoing personalized communication, I think is particularly effective. And then, I'm a big fan of home visits and particularly relationship-centered home visits. I had a powerful experience in Nevada going to a conference and and joining a panel at a school, a middle school about home visits, and it just illuminated their power. And so began a cohort in, in my own district and continue to see when we go to families, what that means to them and what we discover about the child's life their strengths, the parents' hopes and dreams, that investment of a half an hour leads to communication, connection, trust, and that partnership around learning that can really propel a student to thrive, where without that home visit or that you know welcoming call at the beginning of the year, or when a newcomer family arrives in November, taking those five minutes to welcome them and use the interpretation service if you need to as a teacher, those pieces seem to make the biggest difference, uh, as well as Ongoing communication. You know, I think about structures like the APTT process, which leads teachers to host a night where they share with families, here are the goals we're trying to reach in reading or math, and here's how your child's doing now. Some of those structures that really invite families in to be much more aware of, of the learning that's unfolding. And, you know, a last example that emerged in one of our FET teams was. Three moms were in a small group conversation at the beginning of a team meeting. And the question was, what's something a previous teacher did that you thought was really great communication? And they all happened to say, well, at a previous school, just getting a text with a photo of my child in learning with one or two words meant so much and opened a door to relationship with that teacher. So, yeah, those are some of the the kind of best practices. So we're not trying to do uh, too much and spread ourselves thin.
0: Now we've been talking a lot, Ari, about what teachers can be doing. What do administrators need to do to ensure that their schools and or districts are welcoming to parents?
1: I think a, a handful of things come to mind. I mean, one is seeing when principals gather as I go into depth about in, in the book on the same team, they learn so much simply by being in a space and, and instead of being the one to share the one to listen. So creating those spaces to hear more underrepresented voices. I think one, two is creating that space for staff to engage in best practices by concretely giving them the time. One of our high schools does neighborhood walks in August to visit ninth grade families. Brilliant idea. Couple hours, popping in for some quick hellos. But that that means, you know, giving staff the time. Um, I also think an administrator looking at How are we creating welcoming spaces? Sometimes our families, especially our newcomer families, their first impression is is what they experience when they walk in the front office. If the person there isn't getting up away from their computer, engaging in a warm greeting, that's going to have a ripple on how they feel engaging with the school from that day forward. And I think also connected to that, really encouraging one's staff to bring families in. You know, I think part of what inspired me to, to take on this role seven years ago was one teacher I worked with in my last principalship who seemed to just have these amazing relationships with parents and, and the families were so engaged in their kids learning. And she, John, was doing simple things like, my first graders are doing a play this week. They're gonna read a poem a couple weeks from now. Come bring food, come listen to them demonstrate their learning. And the other piece she did, which I think all administrators can and should encourage their staff to do, is spend those extra couple minutes, particularly at the end of the school day, just standing outside your classroom door, uh, engaging with families. And if you're at the middle or high school level, take those couple minutes to call a family or text a family to to deepen those partnerships. So those are a couple things that come to mind. In addition to prioritizing and setting both money and time aside for things like those relationship-centered home visits and other best practices. And the piece I just wrote, which I think is called Five Pathways to Family Partnerships, that really focuses on how do administrators effectively implement strong school-family partnerships, Um, which reminds me, I mean, the last piece I remember writing about there was when I looked at our teacher evaluation goals, I was kind of blown away by how many of them are enhanced by focusing more on partnering with families. So I think if administrators, both in in day-to-day conversations with teachers, as well as in those more feedback-based conversations, can weave in ideas and opportunities, or just a check-in of how staff are connecting with families, that can prompt some really meaningful ongoing work.
0: I'd love to dig deeper into these home visits, because I think that that's a concept that finally is getting its due. And meeting the parent where the parent's at, again, instead of just always expecting the parent to come to school, is brilliant because it does show that it's a a relationship of reciprocity. In addition to having or setting aside the time and the money for these home visits or neighborhood walks, what are some other tips you would give school administration for actually how to run these these home visits?
1: I love the question, John, because it's been other than the FET teams, been kind of a top priority, seeing just how powerful they are. And say one piece that comes to mind, well, just an example of harking back to these teams. We had a middle school team where their third meeting, only three families showed up out of a possible 15 to 20 newcomer families. And they'd had six or seven at the the prior month. And we said, why did we get fewer parents? And, And part of it was, well, they don't know the staff yet. They don't trust us. They don't have a connection. So that next month, in place of the meeting, the staff on the team went out and did home visits. And this was in the middle of the pandemic. Following month, 13 families came to the FET team gathering, which just demonstrated to me when we harness that relationship, families are not only open, they're eager to come and engage with us at school. To to directly, though, answer your question about kind of tips to get started, one is the importance of training. And I kind of steeped myself in the research when we launched our cohort in 2018, it started with about 60 teachers and administrators. So engaging in, and to me, there were three core parts of the training. One was the why, the power of home visits, then getting into the logistics and nitty gritty of the, you know, the key parts of an effective home visit. And then I added some time around how do we engage in a culturally responsive home visit, look at things like you mentioned earlier, biases, look at our own biases as educators, so I'd say training is a huge part, ideally compensating teachers. And for us initially, it was, you know, $25 a visit um, just to acknowledge teachers are often doing this on their own times, after hours, on weekends, and then make setting the bar realistically. So what I came to based on some learnings from a colleague in, in Denver was, why don't we start out with five visits between August and Halloween while the weather's still pretty good? And... And usually most teachers, after they've done a few, they want to do more. And I was just doing a home visit two weeks ago with a teacher who who said, I'm aiming for my whole class this year because it's so rewarding. And and on that visit, John, we learned two really powerful things. Well, one is that the young young boy, about 10 years of age, his cousin had just arrived from El Salvador, 15 year old high school student. The, The teacher didn't know there was this great resource at home to help him with his learning. So that was a wonderful discovery. And then he he brought out some of his drawings and basically we, we saw his passion for art, which the teacher can now harness in the classroom and connect it to a host of academic subjects. So, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of home visits because they just end up being transformative. And we as educators, I remember a piece of research that said nothing supports the development of our own cultural responsiveness more than engaging in home visits compared to other professional development trainings and books and all kinds of things that really engaging, which is why these team meetings each month are so powerful because we learn from families uh, so many insights that we simply couldn't gather anywhere else.
0: When people conduct these home visits where teachers are conducting them, are they going alone? Are they going with the translator? Is it a team? Or is that just what resources are available to the school in question?
1: Yeah, great question. The simple answer is, always going with a partner. One of the, the seven you know, must-dos that comes from the National Parent Teacher Home Visit Project out of Sacramento is to always go with a partner, have that interpretation support if needed. It's also just wonderful to have someone to reflect with. Part of what we have embedded into our training were five questions to ask after the visit so that it truly does not only cultivate relationship with the family, but leads the educator to some real learning of How am I gonna change my approach to teaching that child as a result of this home visit? How how am I gonna change my next home visit based on what I learned about this one? So having that partner to reflect is really valuable.
0: And do you know what some of those questions are that teachers should use in their self-reflection after a visit?
1: Yeah, so I just shared two of them, that one around how will I teach differently or resolve result of this visit. Another one I didn't mention was how have my biases or beliefs shifted as a result of this home visit. And and that's that's often a really powerful kind of private reflection that can really open up insight. So those are a couple of the other questions. I don't have the other two memorized, <laughs> but they're really around fostering helpful reflection that will change teacher practice.
0: A lot of what you said Ari is really resonating partially because I've had guests speaking about some of those other things you're talking about. So for our listeners, if you're interested in what Ari and I are talking about, particularly when Ari was talking about parent calls and making parent calls, definitely check out the first episode of the podcast, which was with Crystal Frommer because she just recently wrote a book on connecting with families through those positive calls. And also, I would recommend folks listen to another episode that should be published by the time Ari's episode here is published. And that's with Maria Underwood, where she talks about establishing a culturally relevant learning community. I would also add the conversation that I had with uh, Mariah Rankin-Landers talking about creating lessons that love students. So Ari was talking about, learning that a boy particularly liked drawing through some of those home visits and so Mariah Rankin-Landers really goes into tapping into student interests in creating lessons that that love students so I highly recommend the folks listen to those episodes in combination with Ari's but Ari before we conclude is there anything else that we haven't talked about about engaging parents mm-hmm. whether in these team meetings, whether through home visits, that you feel our listeners should know.
1: Yeah, thanks. I mean, what's coming to mind is I'm remembering that the research out of Chicago, Anthony Brick did, showed that to go from being a good to great school, good to great teacher administrator, good to great district, one of the five keys was strengthening school family partnerships. Yet I know and regret as a principal and teacher that it often was lower on my priority list at times because I was attending to what was urgent. So this piece of really prioritizing it. And what's also interesting is the research talks about, John, that when they've surveyed teachers on what is the area you feel least confident or least prepared around, the top one was engaging with families. So through those phone calls, texts, home visits, I think that builds our confidence and our competence around engaging with families and particularly engaging across difference. I read the other day that, 27% 27% of our nation's students are children of immigrants, and that's more than 20 million kids. And, the, and you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, my book On the Same Team is about how do you create a team that cultivates meaningful collaboration across a host of these differences? And as I was writing the book, I know, John, you're a fan of kind of global education. One of the things that leapt out was I, I saw an article in The New York Times that talked about in Delhi, India, it was the one place in India where... The school system had brought together parents, teachers, administrators, community members, businesses, and they had formed a very similar council to to our family and educator together teams. And Delhi had the highest growth in academic achievement. So it's not just that this is that these partnerships lead teachers to want to stay in the profession longer and have all kinds of other rewards. It truly does translate to learning. So I, I hope folks will think about building a team, engaging some of these best practices. And um, yeah, I'm just, I feel a lot of passion for this work because I've seen the difference it can make both on the individual teacher and and admin level, as well as for a whole school community.
0: So now Ari, in addition to your book on the same team, which I will link to in the show notes, where else can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Yeah. So a great way to connect with me um, is on LinkedIn and I've, over the last, I'd say five, six years, published about 10 articles on both family partnerships, some on social-emotional learning and how do we truly honor the whole child. And so short articles of mine um, are easy to find on ASCD, uh, educational leadership, other places if you just Google my name, Ari Gerzon Kessler, and articles a number of those pieces of writing will will pop up and I'm happy if someone reaches out on LinkedIn it's a 5 second thing to send someone an article so happy to happy to share that way too
0: thank you so much Ari for your time today this conversation has been very informative so thank you
1: thank you it was a real pleasure John i appreciate the opportunity
0: thank you for listening today i hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching remember have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well.